Oh my God, it is boiling in this room. Can't wait until the actual studio's created. Be much better for everyone. Welcome to Security Horizons. Welcome back. This is our first show in a good while, but we are back for good. As you can see now, we are also a video podcast. So if you're listening to this for an audio service such as Spotify, whether this be in the car, on the move, or wherever you may be, do know on YouTube there is now a 4K video companion. So you can see my charming, charming face. How lovely is this? Please don't answer that. Please don't answer that. So now we're back on schedule. Whether you're listening to it through Spotify or another service, as we are everywhere a podcast can be found, or on YouTube, watching my face as we've just discussed. Do give the podcast a subscribe, wherever that may be, and give it a good old five stars. This is how we get noticed and we want the world to be informed, don't we? So please do that, as it helps me so much to hear from every other person. However, we will now get on with the business of the week and what has been happening. So today we are going through some news within cybersecurity with the Anon web app and the FBI sting, and also Fastly being responsible for the downing of major internet sites for around one hour on the 8th of June. After this, we'll be looking into the Iranian Navy seeing one of the largest warships sunk just off one of their ports after a suspicious fire. We will also be checking in on the situation in Afghanistan, given the Allied troop withdrawal, and how Afghanistan can potentially create a working new government. We will then be looking at some environmental news concerning a ship just off the coast of Sri Lanka, and I'll be finishing up with a Q&A session from questions submitted through Discord, which you can join through the link down below. And finally, we wrap up with links of the week, so you can see what I suggest you should watch, or maybe not. It's up to you. First up today, our major news story of the week is actually two stories, as they are both interconnected in terms of cybersecurity. The first up is Operation Trojan Shield, or Green Knight, depending if you're in America or Europe, is the sting operation led by the US Federal Bureau of Investigation, which we all know as the FBI, and primarily the Australian, Swedish and Dutch police in support. The operation also included cooperation from multiple police forces from around Europe with Europol acting as an intermediary, with suspects being arrested in Australia, Europe, South America and the Middle East, all involved in the narcotics trade. Now, while all this has culminated in the past week, the whole escapade originally started back in 2018. At a cost of $120,000, not including expenses, and a reduced prison sentence, the FBI convinced the developer of his smartphone app and systems to collaborate with them and begin what we now know as Operation Trojan Shield, or, as said before, Operation Green Knight in Europe. Although the app and messaging system in general, which includes the distribution of smartphones that are hardwired to only operate with an Anom service, was not in operation in 2018, the FBI had found out that this developer was creating the service designed to facilitate criminal activities around the globe, Unbeknownst to these groups, the FBI was tapped into the conversations from the very beginning. What this means, 
was that the FBI and all partnered law enforcement agencies had access to a service that included over 12,000 encrypted devices, over 300 criminal groups within an operating zone that included over 100 countries from the very beginning. The groups indicated throughout this operation were from various backgrounds, ranging from the Italian Mafia, biker gangs, to the generic international drug trafficking organisations that you see in every Hollywood blockbuster. Now, given the wide range of groups indicated in this operation, there was a large-scale international law enforcement operation in the past week. 16 countries were involved in the operation, in which over 700 houses were searched, leading to over 800 arrests, over 8 tonnes of cocaine, 22 tonnes of cannabis and resin, 2 tonnes of synthetic drugs, which includes amphetamines and methamphetamines, 6 tonnes of synthetic drug precursors, which are the ingredients used to make the synthetic drugs, especially prevalent around South America and the Middle East, 250 firearms, and $48 million in varying currencies and cryptocurrencies. This is all according to Europol. Again, according to Europol, there are to be spin-off operations in the coming weeks. The reason the police forces around the world were so successful in this operation was that the criminals and gangs genuinely thought their messages could not be seen by an outside party. In Australia, for example, the majority of these phones were handed out by one individual, because, as we discussed earlier, the phones have been rebuilt entirely so that they had no capabilities, including camera and voice systems, outside of the use of an Anom app. This leads to the security services reading messages that were in no way hidden in any code or any way that you might think a criminal organisation operates. This meant that police were able to read messages such as we will have a boat with you at this point, this is who will do this job, and other brazen messages being sent to one another. This has led to a collection of over 27 million messages being stored by the security services around the world. Although on another scale entirely, this is very similar to the EnroChat messaging service that was cracked and reported on in June 2020. This was covered by us at Security Horizons in an episode of ours on February 13th, 2021, which you can go check out now. This service, as we already mentioned, was first cracked in April 2020, with the harvesting of information called Operation Emma. The National Crime Agency, or the NCA in the United Kingdom, claimed that the app, much like the Anom service, was used to buy and sell items from drugs to firearms. This also led to over 800 individuals being arrested all over Europe, similar to the Anom operation. So, finally, in our discussion of cybersecurity for the week, as many of you may have heard, Fastly was down for one hour earlier this week on the 8th of June 2021. Although not on the same level of security threat that the Anom service provided, this has a more direct effect on everyone's daily lives. The sites affected included Amazon, Twitch, being part of Amazon, Reddit, PayPal, Spotify, as well as newspapers such as The Guardian and the UK government's own website, gov.uk. However, these sites were only down for roughly one hour of the day. A day later on the 9th of June, the reason behind the disruption of the service of Fastly, which turned out to be a user innocently changing their own settings. Considering this was an innocent accident caused by Fastly's own bug after an update in May, it highlights the threat that many websites carry. What is this? This is the majority of the highly trafficked sites on the internet, 
or use a slim amount of hosting companies such as Fastly or Amazon Web Services or AWS as we are commonly referred to. David S. Wall, Professor of Criminology at the University of Leeds, succinctly laid out the problem in an article in the conversation that is linked down below, and that is the centralization of the internet. He explains that the example of Fastly going down for even an hour, costing the companies affected hundreds of millions of pounds, illustrates the problem that is the single point of failure. With a single channel going down, any resulting impact is substantial, and comes at a massive cost to any victim. This goes against the original appeal of the internet's founding. When it was released in the early 1990s, it was seen as a beacon of freedom of speech as well as attracting commercial interests. However, since this time, commercial interests have superseded the interests of all else, or so it seems. This has led to today where a small number of firms control the majority of internet traffic, such as AWS and Google. This can lead to situations such as this week with Fastly where an innocent change of personal settings can affect the majority of websites globally. This has also happened before, in 2017. AWS servers went down in a similar manner to Fastly. Large portions of the internet were unavailable, all due to a simple input error on the engineering side at AWS. Although both solutions should be commended in the speed in which they resolve their server-side issues, it should be a note of concern to everyone else that there is such a reliance on a handful of companies to keep the globe's information and economies up and running. This includes the danger of any cybersecurity attacks that should occur. These companies, in my opinion, should be considered in the same realm as essential services such as electricity. There should be oversight on protection, an emphasis on diversification, and in a true capitalist society that we purport to live in, this will lead to greater competition, which likely leads to a degree of increased security for the wider public. Now, we depart from the global perspective of the internet and cybersecurity to a more traditional news point, in which the largest warship in the Iranian Navy caught fire last week and sank in Iranian waters. The Karg, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, which, cheap plug, if you listen to the Ice Hockey podcast, bit of a different topic I know, you know I'm not very good at pronunciations, was caught up in a blaze at the Tongayan refinery, again, hope that's alright, which is south of Tehran, yet the blaze could be seen from residential areas of the capital. Firefighters at the time were struggling to put out the blaze, and according to news reports in the area, the fire had reached the fuel storage facilities within the port. The refinery, built in the 1960s, is one of the largest in Iran, and the damage to this refinery could potentially be very damaging to the Iranian economy, already suffering after ex-President Trump levelled more sanctions against them. This is not exactly the recovery that they were looking for. During this blaze, Firefighters attempted to keep the raging fires from damaging the karg, again, hope I'm pronouncing correctly. The 669-foot-long vessel was primarily used to resupply other ships in the Iranian fleets. According to state sources, there were 400 sailors and trainees on board, with only 33 suffering injuries. It finally sank near the port of Jask in Iran, over 1,200 kilometers southeast of Tehran and the Gulf of Iman, near the Strait of Hormuz. 
This is not the first time that an Iranian site or military target has been subject to a disaster with unidentified sources. Back in April of this year, a ship called the MV Savis, again, pronunciation aside, which was believed to be a guard base for the Revolutionary Guards, anchored off the coast of Yemen, which it was suspected but not confirmed to have been carried out by Israel. However, it was also heavily criticised by Saudi Arabia, which given its proximity to Yemen and the Cold War that is occurring between Saudi and Iran in the Middle East region, is unsurprising. However, should that have come from Israel, which, in high likelihood it was, the attack carries on a shadow war between the two nations that has been going on for years. Both attacks on the Savas and Karg, again pronunciation, warships would be consistent targets chosen by Israel to keep up pressure on the Iranian state. It's a good example of the Iranian navy, due to the fact that it dates back to before the 1979 Islamic Revolution in Iran, Having been built in Britain and being launched in 1977, it joined the Iranian Navy in 1984. This aging fleet and military equipment in general is starting to show just how old it is due to many accidents that are being seen. Just a couple of weeks ago, two Iranian F-5 pilots were killed in an ejector seat accident in their own hangar. Not only does the age of these vessels showcase the general inadequacy of the Iranian military at this point, it also is only the latest in a line of naval incidents. In 2020, during a training exercise, a friendly missile actually accidentally struck an Iranian ship, killing 19 and injuring 15. In 2018, in the Caspian Sea, another Iranian destroyer sank. It's been a tough few years for the Iranian Navy. Moving quickly on from Iran to their neighbour to the east in Afghanistan, the Taliban have been taking more and more territory now that Allied forces are starting to pull out ahead of the total withdrawal of American forces by the 11th of September this year. During this handover of bases from Allied military forces to local security forces, there has been an increase of these local security forces taking the operational prerogative away from Allied military forces. As well as taking over for prerogative, US Army General Scott Miller stated that foreign military bases are now being gradually handed over to the Afghan forces. However, the Taliban still remains a very real and present threat to any security forces in the region. They remain closely aligned to Al-Qaeda in the region, with no breakup in relationships seemingly forthcoming. Not only is it still a strong relationship, it seems to be getting even stronger, with marriages occurring between the groups and a shared sense of struggle between what they see as foreign intervention. There is also now a secondary generation coming through, but has only known harmonious ties between the two groups, cementing this relationship further still. Despite the growing threat of the Taliban in a post-interventionist Afghanistan, there are being questions on how the recognised government can keep a sense of power and security and security for locals in the region. A large problem that is seen within the Afghan government is the central city of power in Kabul. Not only is this seen as a large problem, there is a growing consensus that this is in fact the main reasoning behind disaffection with the centralised government. There seems to be a lack of local representation due to the local bureaucracy, such as the mayor, being appointed from Kabul and not through local elections. 
This is despite the 2004 Afghan constitution providing for decentralization that was reminiscent of pre-Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. However, Ahmed Karzai, the first post-Taliban president in Afghanistan, wanted more central power, and the United States allowed these requests. So no provisions for decentralization have been implemented in Afghanistan as of yet. This means that despite not getting any support from the capital, Kabul controls all finances, hiring, and any governmental control, while expecting the local municipality to bear the costs, despite having no say in the matter. I doubt anyone in the Western world, especially in America, would accept this type of governmental system. Should the United States and other allied countries have wanted to create a more secure Afghanistan before the pulling out of troops, they should have looked at the state of the government in greater detail, rather than military actions, that serve to alienate a large portion of the population. In our last scheduled topic for today, I will take a bit of a diversion from our regular security news just to highlight a potential environmental disaster occurring off the western coast of Sri Lanka. The Singapore-registered Express Pearl has been on fire for almost two weeks before it was extinguished. However, the worst-case scenario has occurred in which oil it was containing has started leaking into the ocean around it. Not only is it a disaster in terms of oil leaks, but it was lazened with chemicals that have the potential to disrupt the wildlife and the fishing economy that surrounds the local towns. Sri Lanka has already stated that it will take legal action against the owners of the ship, while the captain, chief engineer and assistant engineer have been barred from leaving the country until, until an investigation has occurred. Express Feeders the operator of the vessel, has already apologised for the disaster, saying, and I quote, I'd like to express my deep regret and apology to the Sri Lankan people for the harm this incident has caused both to the livelihoods and environment of Sri Lanka. This is coming from the CEO. It has already started to affect the local economy, with the government suspending fishing along a 50-mile stretch of coastline. This affects over 5,500 fishing boats, and the military has been dispatched to make sure the beaches are clean, which have already been affected by the oil spill. The fire that caused the sinking of a ship is believed to have been caused by nitric acid, which was leaked, which was known by the crew. They had asked for permission to dock in both Qatar and India to leave the ship before a potential fire broke out. However, this was not granted. There is widespread public anger that Sri Lanka allows this ship to enter its waters after already being rejected by the aforementioned countries. As well as the nitric acid and the oil spill, it contains other chemicals and cosmetic items that can potentially pollute the local area. There are already images of turtles circulating, showing up dead on the beaches of Sri Lanka, driving home how deadly this oil spill could be. Now, for my favourite section of the week, due to the fact that I've asked you guys to ask me questions about either the week that's just gone, the previous episode topic, or just any news or security question that you want to be expanded upon. I ask for these questions in my Discord channel. Just head on over using the invite link in the description and select Security Horizons in the Select Role category. From there, I'll be asking everyone for questions just before I write the script, so be on the lookout for any notifications from the channel. It's not just for weekly questions, however. 
we're building up a community over there where we can discuss and have a chat about the goings on in the world. So come join us. We'll be more than happy to have you and look forward to having a discussion in the near future. Anyway, let's carry on with the Q&A. And this week, we have two questions from SpyFox in the Discord. The first one is, what is the current situation around Alexei Navalny? Again, sorry. <laughs> and does he still hold some kind of influence or is there still a strong movement because of him against Putin? We covered Navalny in February when his whole situation was just blowing up. So this is a great question as it keeps us updated with what's going on in Russia. So many of you will know that following the podcast where we covered his situation, he subsequently went on a hunger strike. This lasted for 24 days or so in which he finally stopped his strike after intervention from doctors that were not from his prison, which was a prerequisite of the strike. This is due to his poor health while in prison, which is still ongoing. In terms of his power over in Russia for the opposition, in my opinion, as an outsider with no way of knowing the thought of the average Russian voter, he is still a near martyr symbol for the Russian opposition. However, Putin is currently trying to make it as hard as possible for Navalny's opposition group to operate as an organisation. As of recording this episode, the Russian court system is expected to make a declaration that outlaws Navalny's political organisation due to the fact they will be labelled as an extremist organisation. This is very different from how Putin has handled him in the past, where it was only considered a nuisance. However, since the poisoning attempts and global fame that this gave Navalny, of which he is still receiving awards for his stands against the Russian government, Putin has been extremely aggressive in the suppression of this rising opposition against himself. Along with the courts banning the organisation of Navalny, Putin has signed into a law that outlines any founders, leaders or funders of extremist groups from holding or running for office for many years to come. This brands a whole swathe of opposition figures as unable to stand for election. This is all ahead of the parliamentary elections in September. With Navalny's growing social presence before the poisoning, such as the video he released about the, Ru about the Russian palace in Sochi, it is almost certain that this was a medium-term medium-term length political play to guarantee Putin's results in the forthcoming elections. Now, on to the second question, which is, given the recent colonial pipeline hack, what is the state of readiness with other organisations and to what degree are more critical infrastructure systems still susceptible to ransomware attacks and what are the impacts? Well, this leads up from our first topic today rather nicely, doesn't it? This is a relatively easy one in comparison, however, to SpyFox's first question, as the CEO of the Colonial Pipeline himself has stated that they weren't ready. In my opinion, this goes for a lot of other key infrastructure, not just in America, but around the world. With the recent space of ransomware attacks across the world, people are suddenly finding that the keys to everyday life are not viably protected. In terms of Colonial Pipeline, they did not heed warnings from the Homeland Security Department as far back as February of 2020. A bit silly if you ask me. In terms of the impact, well, we all saw the images of people filling up plastic bags full of gasoline, which is wild. I think this is all we need to say on the matter. 
Mass panic and hysteria when fuel, food and electricity are at risk and in, in short supply. In terms of how they should be prepared, the Democratic Senator from New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan, I hope I said that correctly too, said this, I don't think it's acceptable to understand the critical nature of your product, but then not really have the preparation and the system in place to protect it if it's critical infrastructure. We need to start imagining what can happen and respond accordingly as opposed to always be looking at what the last problem was and really investing in critical infrastructure. I think it's absolutely important that we have standards that really make sure that companies are investing in the kinds of infrastructure they need. Although not a cyber attack, the downing of a Texan electrical system in February showcases just how susceptible these systems are to either an attack or an unplanned emergency. The lack of thought to either backs up or security is going to be a key question that will likely not be talked about in the very near future. To sum up, it's been a hell of a bad first half in 2021 for cybersecurity PR. Do we haven't even talked about the soda winds attack yet? Finally, we have links of the week. Here, I'm just showcasing the links I think you should check out after you leave me here. First of all, a bit of self-promotion. I wrote about the impact small, cheap drones will have on warfare in the final months of 2020. And this week, you'll never guess it, but the exact same topic came across in the Wall Street Journal. So, go check both of them out and tell me how much better mine was. I'm obviously joking, read for sarcasm. I've also just left a link of people filling up plastic bags with petrol for your enjoyment down below. No matter how bad your day is going, I guarantee that this will make you feel better about yourself. And my last serious link is the latest video by Johnny Harris looking at volcanoes in Indonesia. Give it a watch, it's just very good. Trust me, that's all I have to say on the subject. Thank you so much for bearing with me during this podcast. I hope you found it informative and a good listen. Do leave a like and also subscribe on the channel if you're on YouTube. And if you're listening on audio providers, give it a five-star rating because you know it deserves one as well as a sub or a follow. It is free after all. You can also find me around the web, especially on Twitter, at, at jwalkermedia and on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Jeremy underscore Walker. We may be doing this live very soon, so give me a follow over there and you won't miss it. Also, be sure to join the Discord with a link down below and also leave a comment, so let's have a chat. Alright you guys, thanks. I'll see you on the next one. Same time, same place, next week. Hope you have a good one and thanks for sticking with me again, as I said earlier. I am using a teleprompter for the first time. Uh, so if I sound a bit robotic, I'm already sorry. But uh, hopefully I'll get used to it very soon and it'll all sort itself out. And in a couple of weeks, I should be in a proper studio, not just my bedroom. So everything will look so much better and the production quality will be A star. So ciao, have a good one. See you later.